Well, hi again, everyone, and welcome to GivePod, Greater Vancouver's business podcast, exploring the challenges and opportunities facing our region. I'm Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. October is Small Business Month, and our sponsor this month is our pillar partner, RBC. And anyone who has run a small business knows that it can be a monumental task. Building the right team is often half the battle. So today I'm speaking with someone who knows exactly what it's like to take to build a winning team because she's done it herself. And now she helps others do the same. Renee Safrata is the CEO and founder of Vivo Team Development, and she's here to talk about how to get the right people to help your business succeed. Nice to see you, Renee. Nice to see you as well. And thanks so much for doing this today. So maybe we'll start with your backstory. Let's talk about your entrepreneurial background and then the company that you first founded and love to hear some lessons learned from that experience. Sure, sure. I I think my entrepreneurial background started from growing up in the late 60s and the 70s with an entrepreneurial father who was an architect and worked from his home and was had a global footprint even at that time where he was designing out in throughout Europe. I think that really gave me the context of, hey, why not do it on my own? And so I had lots of great messaging from both my parents to just get out there and do it. And I did. I got educated in my first uh, profession as a uh, what we call in Canada, registered interior designer and what we call throughout North America, interior architect. And I thought I'd take a stab at my first venture, which was a boutique interior design architectural firm run out of Toronto. And it was really started in residential design, went through to commercial, and I ended up in big box retail. So helping uh, big brands make uh, all of their client experiences look the same. So claim to fame, I named Petcetera, which some of us may know. Mm -hmm. And the other claim to fame was just that I had the ability to work on some teams that were highly functional and others that were not functional. So that was quite a learning. And there is a thread line to right now Vivo team as well. So I've had a number of solopreneurial ventures and entrepreneurial ventures. Uh, Vivo team is where I have landed through that process. You asked me about lessons learned, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. So I think, I think for me as a, as a new um, person sort of educated as a technician, but really not educated as a business person, I had to realize that I didn't know anything about business. Um, I knew lots of great technical skills, hard skills, but I really didn't know how to work with customers or the finances of my business or the right metrics to, to show me that I was on the right track. And that actually became a little bit scary. I think as well, I also thought as my first iteration, because I didn't re, re, didn't really know again what the financials, mm -hmm. could I support a hire, a full-time employee? So what I did was I built the business that would, depending on the projects, it would grow or it would scale down. And how I did that was with contracting and vending relationships with engineers that I brought to the table or decorators that I brought to the table or those those other support services to the end project game. It was a stepping stone. So that thread then, um, not just building beautiful spaces, but building the team to build beautiful yeah. spaces. And 
I think anybody who has been on a team or built a team knows that, you know, some teams are highly functioning and you're really grateful when you're in that situation, but sometimes that's not always the case. (laughs) That's right. right. And that's what's become my life passion. My professional passion is to figure out how to unlock that, how to help the companies that we work with now really understand how to balance hard skill competencies and soft skill competencies so that their teams and their leaders connect at a high level and they collaborate at a high level. And it, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't had the stepping stones of the previous experiences to really find out my passion. And I think as well, I have to say, I think as a young entrepreneur, a lot of people say, just find your passion and, mm-hmm. you know, the money will follow. I, I had a tough time with that because I can do a lot of things and I can do a lot of things really well. So that question of what's your passion, I found almost disturbing. Like, I don't know. But after a while, I started recognizing there was that piece of team that I wanted to unlock. So the obvious question is how, how do you build a winning team? Because it is a bit like, I don't know, I I see it a bit like cooking. You've got to have all the ingredients to make a good recipe. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think building a great team has to do with Again, let's just let's just start small with, you know, you find that first right hire and that's tough. You might have to go through a number Mm -hmm. of hires to find the right hire, but you find that right hire who shares, uh, you know, my right hire was Erin Berube. You know, we call one another. She calls me her Batwoman and I call her my Robin. We knew Mm -hmm. that our values were aligned. We could almost finish one another's sentences, that right hire then could be duplicated. So I think that's an important first step. Go through as many people as you have to, to find that right hire. And to build the team, you have to build it slowly because once you have those core values and the core, um, let's say the accountabilities of how work gets done around here, And as long as you hold people accountable to great work, then you can just keep rinsing and repeating and expanding. But it takes good quality management of that. It can't be just lip service to, hey, you're a great person, come in and do your job. That doesn't work. Well, it's such a good point about aligning values and accountability because you can do that, but still build diversity in a team because, you know, more and more workplaces are focused on diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of individuals, diversity, you know, in every kind of aspect of skills and abilities. But I I think I'm hearing you say that, you know, the alignment of some of those core pieces like values is sort of the glue that holds a good team together. Absolutely. And I think that when you bringing up diversity is a really good point, because I think people get confused and they think that diversity has to do with how our websites look, that there's a lot of diversity Mm -hmm. on the team page. You're absolutely right. Diversity means looking at the business and what are the problems we solve and what diverse opinion, viewpoint knowledge, judgment, do we need around our decision-making table with our customers to solve those problems properly? That's true diversity, I think. You know, I'll admit I was doing some um, 
I don't know if it's called sneaking around. I was looking at your website and, and just looking at some of the really interesting research that you had and the analytics you had, because mm. there's a real financial cost to having dysfunctional teams, uh, you know, and it it is a bit of a harder thing to put your your finger on. But anybody who's been part of a dysfunctional team or led a dysfunctional teams know there's a cost. But you've actually got some research that shows about the cost of non-productive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. And we set aside, you know, talking about research, we set aside a good two years to solve this problem. Because 12 years ago, we looked at what learning and development looked like. <laughs> and we looked at what five generations going into the workplace and the workplace of 2020 would look like. Like we really cast our eyes out to the future. We didn't expect a pandemic, but we cast our eyes out and we said, how is learning and development going to um, so- solve the problems at the C-suite for the leaders and managers and for the individual contributors with what is out there? And we recognized we needed to disrupt what was there. So one of the one of the things that I recognize is that people kept saying, you know, you cannot measure soft skills. This was a big thing years ago. Mm-hmm. You can't measure soft skills. And we believe differently. We believe that with behavioral science, if we look at effective behaviors in key soft skills, communication, accountability, emotional intelligence, and and therefore, and, and so on, if we could identify effective competence behaviors, motivation behaviors, or will behaviors, and collaboration behaviors, and then we could measure repetitive behavioral pattern against those efficient manner, mannerisms, we had something. And so we hung our hat on, let's look at not putting people in teams in a box saying, you're a blue hat, I'm a red hat, I'm a, mm-hmm. you're a green hat. How do we talk to each other? But actually looking at how do we behave when we are completing projects? What are we actually doing or not doing? And how can we then give managers the tools to really understand how to notice behavior and how to give people behavioral feedback on that behavior has a positive impact on the project or on the team. That behavior doesn't. So please do more of this or please do less of this. By arming managers and leaders with those kinds of very practical tools, then they don't feel so overwhelmed and they can have the sometimes tough conversations with the people they're leading. If we start to we believe, and we do this all the time, we believe that when we have teams and leaders having high quality connecting conversations about behaviors, people know what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and what is has the best impact on the project result, we all feel great about it. We come home at the end of the day and we feel alive. We're not gravitating to the couch with a bag of salt and vinegar chips. <laughs> we're so exhausted, right? right? Now, October is Small Business Month, and 98% of the businesses in British Columbia are small businesses. So a lot of what I'm hearing you say about teams and leaders, you know, is applicable to maybe medium or larger businesses. But if you're talking about a small business that might have five people or fewer, how does this thinking apply to those businesses? Yeah. I So what I heard you say is, you know, you have these larger businesses, medium to large, but most of the audience here is small businesses. So how does this really apply to small businesses? Correct. The, the, this is my lens on small, medium and large businesses. 
we all have to solve problems to be in business. Business problems requires people, people to solve those problems. And so if you're a small business and you have three people or six people, let's say, mm-hmm. you are probably bumping into the same thing as those large companies that at the end of the day, when you look at how projects projects are completed, projects in large companies are also completed with six to 12 people on average. Right. Just be maybe multiple teams. And, and truthfully, I think the only difference is they have an extra zero behind their revenue and their bottom line profit. So work the zeros, like just get those, build those zeros, but think about human beings and how we can manage how do people solve projects and people solve projects by navigating both their hard skills. That's their technical competence and their soft skills of working together. So all of this is super applicable to no matter what size of business focus on the people. And that's the invisible balance sheet of organizations. And we are very, and I include myself in this, we are very, very privileged that we get to have small teams and we get to have the opportunity to focus on people and make it a great place, workplace for people. That's our invisible balance sheet. There are a lot of really large companies that just look at the balance sheet. That's mm-hmm. profit and loss in the balance sheet. And they don't care about the people. So guess what? We're a good news story as small to medium-sized businesses. The last two and a half years have just been so <laughs> challenging on so many levels. But for this particular conversation, I just think about the change in the workplace environment, this hybrid work environment that still is happening now. And I think it has forever changed for all organizations, whether you're in any kind of flex environment or you're just trying to navigate that right now. So how does that change for for when you're building a team? Like what kind of additional factors go into go into building a team when, when some people, you just don't see them every day. Yeah. I'm going to say a couple things on this one. I think that you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. So we really need to embrace the paradigm shift. And actually when companies, when we see companies, leaders, and teams embracing the paradigm shift and learning what the paradigm shift means, perhaps just even taking a pause point to recognize how technology or shared documentation can help them. Just pause, pause for a minute, just pause, sharpen the saw, pause for a minute. When they embrace the paradigm shift, they can recognize greater efficiencies. I think to answer your question as well, that there has to be more focus on their frontline managers connecting, connecting more deeply with people because we don't, we are no longer attached so much to place. The water cooler, is now a river that is throughout a number of locations. Mm -hmm. And we need to attach to people and processes and solve projects from distributed teams. So I think that if in our business portfolio, we take some things from the old paradigm that we love, maybe it's brainstorming in a boardroom together, but we also have things that we love in the new paradigm um, we, we've got a really exciting place to be in the future. The workplace of the future, I think, looks really exciting. And in addition, I think that what I would say is where people will get it wrong is when they try to squish the two paradigms into one. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it. You can't, you know, a lot of, we see some people that are in the office 
You know, they still have that big display in the boardroom and they're bringing people into a Teams meeting who are the people who are working from home into the boardroom and there's, you know, eight to 10 in the boardroom. Well, all, all you're doing is taking two paradigms and trying to make it work and it doesn't. People are turning their heads and people are trying to it's chat. Awkward. It's very oh. awkward. Yeah, it's no, don't take a pause, learn the new paradigm shift and implement, I think. What's your thinking on... Um... Uh, there have been some leaders in in sort of team building and uh, thought leaders in organizational uh, development and those kinds of things that say, you know, it's really hard for employers to give employees um, more opportunity to uh, help them with career advancement unless they see them, you know, face to face in the office. Those people who show up are going to get more opportunities. Do you think that is necessarily true in building teams and and advancing, helping to support the advancement of somebody's career? No, I don't. I don't. And I, I come to this from being a company owner that sees a lot of works with a lot of companies that are doing it well and many that aren't doing it well. I also come to this conversation as a leader of a company that's spread throughout Canada. You know, there's people, I don't know the height of a lot of people on my team. <laughs> that's they're always surprising when you see them in yeah. person. <laughs> they're in Halifax, they're in Toronto, they're in Vancouver, but we have the structures in place and we have taught the soft skills of communication and feedback and holding one another accountable in such a manner that we feel equally connected and career advancement is something that I think actually can happen faster because people are extremely efficient and they're enjoying the lifestyle choice of being where they want to be while they work at this central hub called Vivo Team. That I, I I don't I, I yeah I don't see it I just don't see it. Yeah, it's a great perspective, Renee. Um, before we run out of time, I, I do want to give you an opportunity, maybe a call to action to all of those employers out there who are really challenged right now to attract and retain employees. You know, a, a majority of our members have been saying that to us for months now that they are dealing with labor shortages, attracting talent, retaining talent. So as you think about it with your hat on of building teams, um, you know, what would be some advice to employers who are really grappling with this? Yeah, you know, again, I, I feel the pain. I think there is a pain out there right now. I think the ships will turn at some point, but we just put out a, a, a proposal to, to bring in a new hire. We had 300 applications and we shortlisted it down to four to interview. One didn't show up and the other three were not mm -hmm. right for the role. So what we're doing is we're really um, starting to look at the employees who recognize on our team, who recognize that they're a part of a great team and they're interested in being here. And we're asking them, you know, do you have friends? Do you have like, do you have professional colleagues that would like to join a great team? Like, can we bring them to the table instead of sort of going net new on an Indeed ad where we don't know people? Mm -hmm. In addition to that, I think as well is, and we see this in our clients, there, there's a stuck point that when teams, and even if it's a small team of three, when teams have not taken the advantages of helping people develop to the next level, it's hard for them to grow. So, you know, are you trying to find the people at the upper area of the org chart or are you trying to, or are you organically developing, even if it's a small team, the people that are within your team and bringing in 
others and giving new opportunities to possibly some younger hires that are out there just dying to have a job outside of Starbucks, right? I don't know mm-hmm. if that answered your question. It, but- it does. And, you know, I, I would really encourage listeners to go to your website, Vivo Team Development, uh, and look around. You've got some great tips. You've got really good research and analytics. And and I'm sure that, you know, more than than what we can spend over uh, in, a, in a podcast, but lots of learning there. And and thank and you. Take for, our for demo. Taking- Take yeah. our demo. It'll take you three minutes. Take our demo. And, and even if you have a team of three, find out where you're strong, where you're weak, how much it's costing you, and then use those tips to improve things. Sorry. Yeah. Did I no, and I was, you know, I, I was just going to say that it, no matter how high functioning uh, the team is, you can always improve. So ah. there's probably something on your website that would a- a- appeal and apply to just about anybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Thanks so much, Renee. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for for all of this. I think we can all be in great workplaces. And I hope that this helps a lot of people create great workplaces. Thanks, Bridget.